Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. It's a three-guest episode with Tony Stewart, Tony Zizzo, and Chris King. We're talking Chicago. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. The Indy Top Alcohol Dragster winner and two Chicago natives chomping at the bit to get back to their home track. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Loans back with the NHRA Insider Podcast this week. A big show with three guests on it. Tony Stewart's going to be hitting leadoff. Then we're going to talk to TJ Zizzo. His team finally, since uh, St. Louis of 21, has been off the track. They're coming back with a brand-new car, all new parts and pieces. They just tested it, Indy. We'll talk about that. And Chris King, the underdog funny car hero, also out of Chicago. He's a Chicago firefighter, and he will be in a nitro funny car, the car owned by Terry Totten. He'll be competing at the Route 66 Nationals coming up at Route 66 Raceway. It is the Gerber Collision and Geek Glass Route 66 Nationals presented by Peak and uh, we already have full fields lined up for all the professional categories. We already have all kinds of buzz going on. And we also have a guy coming into our TV booth. We're going to talk to him. His name's Tony Stewart, who incidentally not only won the Las Vegas race four wide, not only nearly won the Charlotte race four wide, but then did go to Indy and win the regional race two wide, which was part of Cletus and Cars. So Tony Stewart will be our first guest. That'll be TJ Zizzo. Then it will be Chris King. I mentioned Cletus and Cars. Some of you may not know what that is. And it was, I was there. Um, so the, the, the situation was this at Indy last weekend. Because very early on in the season, NHRA looked at the schedule and went, uh-oh, there's a regional race in Indy. At the same weekend, there is a national event in Charlotte. And so what the move was in order to, to keep racetracks and events from robbing each other of cars, they split off the alcohol categories. They split off the alcohol categories from that regional event in Indianapolis and moved them to the following week to be run during this event called Cletus and Cars. The rest of the race, which was scheduled to be run the same time we were in Charlotte, actually rained out, which that's going to be rerun in August, but that's kind of outside of the story. So we run the national event in Charlotte, which allowed many of those cars, many of the best cars in the country, to then transit up to Indianapolis to run at IRP the regional race. So, what is Cletus and Cars? Why do I keep mentioning it? If you are unfamiliar with a guy named Cletus McFarlane, his real name is Garrett Mitchell, but he is a YouTuber, and he is an automotive YouTuber, perhaps, potentially, and maybe after what I saw last weekend, the single most influential YouTuber in the automotive world, and he created this character named Cletus McFarlane. And the story of this is pretty incredible, just to give you the quick backstory. So Cletus McFarland is this kind of jokey character that shows up in a couple of YouTube videos when Garrett Mitchell is uh, beginning his educational path to be a lawyer. And he pretends to be this kind of goofy guy with a weird accent that makes funny jokes named Cletus McFarland. And he's kind of a background player with another guy named Kyle Loftus who has a highly successful YouTube channel called 1320 Video. And so this Cletus character starts to gain a little bit of a life of itself, life of its own. And so he basically stops going to, to law school, stops going to college, 
and dedicates himself to the YouTube dream to see what happens. He's at a time in his life where he can do it, so he does it. He now has more than 3 million followers. He has a fleet of over 100 cars. They build all this wild stuff. He puts on events all over the country. They raced on the dirt in Bristol. They're up here at Indy. He owns a racetrack in Florida called the Freedom Factory, which was the old DeSoto Speedway, which is, I believe, a 3 8 mile oval that is uh, on the same hunk of property, really, as Bradenton Motorsports Park, the NHRA drag strip down there. He has an ownership stake in companies like Motion Raceworks, which is an aftermarket manufacturer. They build all kinds of different widgets and parts. They have a, a, a race brakes division. He has a huge merchandising empire. He owns a couple of helicopters. He's got an airplane. And he loves cars. And he loves cars and doing wild stuff with cars. So this Cletus and Cars event that our alcohol categories, Top Alcohol, Funny Car, and Dragster, ran in at Indy, um, was one of the coolest things I have ever been to in my life. I, I went there to announce it and I announced the drag race, which was a, there was kind of a streetcar element to it. And a lot of guys making kind of fun test and tune grudge runs with all these different wild contraptions. Some of the stuff fairly straightforward. Oh, cool. Late model, this or that with a turbo. It's really fast. It's cool. Well, then a guy rolls up with a car called Klaus the Barbarian, which is a, like an old three series BMW with a twin turbo LS motor and really no body on it. It has an exoskeleton made of, of chromoly steel tubing. And this guy's out there in a full fire suit. He's all in his all proper gear. He's out there hauling down the racetrack. They have a burnout contest, an Aussie style burnout contest, meaning you're not doing the lame thing where you just sit there stationary and smoke the tires. You basically enter into this predetermined area which was all lined up with concrete barriers and everything and you go in there and you burn the tires off and you spin the tires as hard as you can uh, we had guys all manner of vehicles doing that from hot rotted vans to a guy with a volkswagen with a vr6 late model engine in the back of it um, blown alcohol engines powering some of these burnout cars so on saturday there was qualifying and first round eliminations in top alcohol funny car and dragster there was the fun runs for Cletus and Cars, and the burnout contest was Saturday night. Then on Sunday, we came back, ran the semifinals and finals in Top Alcohol, Funny Car, and Dragster, and had a race called the Indy 800 on the oval track inside the property of uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. So these events he puts on, these circle track races, use a fleet of identical old Crown Victoria-like cop cars that they all have a nitrous bottle in them, and the drivers can use that nitrous as like a, a push to pass like you would have in an Indy car. You hit the nitrous button, you get an additional shot of 50 horsepower for the equivalent of about 50 seconds if you were to use the thing all uh, continuously, which you should not do. So I was involved in announcing both ends of this event. I worked with a guy named Jake Wilson to call the stock car race. It had been many years since I had called circle track racing. And I really enjoyed it. Had a great time and had great uh, chemistry with Jake. So... All this happened over the course of two days in front of a monstrous crowd. We're talking tens of thousands of people enjoying the cars, getting autographs, meeting their favorite heroes from, from Cletus's kind of orbit, his friends. He has this whole kind of super friends network of guys that were there with their own burnout cars and their own kind of neat stuff. Everybody's selling t-shirts. It's just, it was a happening. And it was so great to have our alcohol categories involved in this event because the number of young kids and, and people that were unfamiliar with, let's call it traditional drag racing, that for the first time in their lives smelled nitro, for the first time in their lives saw a car go more than 250 miles an hour, for the first time in their lives saw a car go more than 280 miles an hour, they had that experience and it fit perfectly. It really did fit perfectly. There was a wow factor for those cars, which we all know those cars have a wow factor. 
Driving an alcohol funny car is incredibly difficult. Driving successfully to the degree you need to be anymore to win in top alcohol dragster is incredibly hard. Very high-level competition, very, very fast race cars, and they got the best of both worlds. The fans got all the crazy streetcar stuff, but then they also got a taste of just thousands and thousands of horsepower doing things to their guts, rumbling their guts in ways that even the best Zumi-equipped gas-burning engine can't do in a hot-rodded streetcar. So I cannot say enough about how great the weekend was. I can't say enough about how much I appreciate the organization that Cletus has put together and his people. I can't say enough about how blown away I was by the veracity and just the the sheer intensity of the crowd, how much they're into all of it. They're yelling his catchphrases at one point. You know, Cletus's big catchphrase is, hell yeah, brother, says it all the time. You can go watch some of his YouTube videos, which are incredibly entertaining, by the way. But at one point, we had the crowd going back and forth. There were so many people there. The left side would chant, hell yeah, and the right side would yell back, brother. And I mean, it was that stadium atmosphere, that, that electric stadium atmosphere that we get at certain events where you just the hair on the back of your neck stands up because people are screaming and yelling and they're cheering um and it was great so massively massively successful event over the weekend super awesome um you know and and the sport of drag racing was not simply concentrated there new england dragway will be headed there for the new england nationals after chicago had an import face-off event import face-off is a great traveling series the largest one in ifo's 20-year history now new england dragway was effectively sold out and again these are all young people that series draws tons of young people there's a show and shine element there's a ton of drag racing that goes on it is it is a young crowd and they blew the doors off the place the Nitro Chaos Series went to Edgewater Dragway, had a great show. They had a rain out. They, they moved the race to this weekend. They went over there, had great car counts, great competition. Megan Meyer was racing down there. So around the horn in drag racing this week was a good week for this sport. You know, we've been, we've been kicked in the shins a couple of times with some rough news over the last several weeks with different things, but this was a great week. So there's my diatribe, and we're going to talk about Cletus and Cars with Tony Stewart because he came over to the circle track after he wins top alcohol dragster we finished our stock car race he came over and you know thanked cletus and had shared his thoughts on the event which he was pretty blown away as a guy that owns a racetrack that little you know eldora speedway legendary dirt track that he owns he respects good promotion and what he saw was damn good promotion the place was just bonkers the entire weekend so that's my story and i'm sticking to it the order and and again i gave you the batting order once or twice i'm going to give it to you a third time tony stewart will be up next when i come back and we'll have tj zizzo and chris king following in that order don't go anywhere the nhra insider is just getting going and tony stewart will be back after this break all right so our first guest in this episode of the nhra insider podcast a man who is on the road when he's not winning on the drag strip driver of the mobile one a fuel dragster tony stewart how you doing man I'm good, bud. We, uh, we're uh, traveling around the country like normal doing what we do. So uh, it's been a great stretch of weeks for you and your team. Obviously, the big win in Vegas, and then you come to one of the most unique events I've ever been to in Indianapolis, and you win at IRP um, in the A-Fuel car with the McPhillips family at Cletus and Cars. So this was a very unique event to win. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I, I'll be honest. We had tested on Friday, and um, – you know, Saturday morning at eight o'clock sharp. I mean, guys are revving cars up and I'm like, what in the hell is going on out here? It sounded like a war zone, but, um, it was, it was a cool event. I, you know, Cletus does a great job promoting and, um, 
I could not believe how many fans were there. So it was insane. I've been told about what regional races were like, and you know they don't normally produce big crowds for the regionals, but uh, you know Kalita sure brought his legion of fans, and uh, you know had his burnout contest, and he had some grudge match drag races, and uh, I thought it was a pretty good day. I thought he did a good job. No, he really did, and uh, you know the guy's kind of like one of these, uh, like a force of nature, really, and and his fan base is just rabid, and they all showed up, and they got a really great show from the from the top alcohol funny cars and dragsters. I mean, listen, the qualifying there was stout, man. It was cloudy day. It was cool on Friday when we qualified those cars. The bump spot was down in the thirties. Uh, you hauled the mail as you have been doing, so they took advantage of the conditions. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, it was a you know, Indy was a big weekend for us. Um, you know to we've been working with this new car and rich senior and junior they they've been frustrated but they've been plowing through and and you know they're problem solvers if there's something not right they're going to work till they figure it out and, and come to a conclusion and uh you know they made some changes from uh the charlotte national weekend and then going into indy they had made some fueling changes and and it really picked this car up so it's uh it's been a long i feel like it's been forever it feels like forever even though we're only five or six events into the season with it but it's been really frustrating at the beginning and and they found some things before vegas and then after charlotte uh the changes he made uh during testing on the test day before indy and and the first day uh, everything really is starting to come around, and I feel like this car is the car to be. It really uh, is a contender every week. Yeah, the speed the speed number is huge too. I mean, that thing went two eighty two. They're kind of living in that two seventy eight to two eighty two range, which I believe were at least in an A fuel car some personal best speeds for you over the weekend. Yeah, both ET even even on the test uh, test day we we ran five twenty two five twenty one, and that was the best ET I'd ran in that car. Uh, and then being able to run the, the 281 and 282s, I mean, that's speeds that I haven't been in, a, in an A-Fuel car yet. You know, it's interesting. You've been at this game on every level that's possible. And, you know, working through those issues at the beginning of the season, what are the things that you learned about those guys? What are the things you learned about the team as you were kind of fighting your way through that, the, the, the teething problems at the beginning of the year? Well, it's, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but um, – I feel like the biggest thing was, you know, they they didn't realize there were a couple issues that just weren't going to be fixed with tuning. Okay. Um, you know, a couple of those issues they found after we ran Pomona and went to the test session at Bakersfield. Um, that really helped us at Vegas. That was a huge step forward for Vegas. Uh, and, and picked up a tenth and a half to two tenths in the car's performance. So to be able to, to go from that and, um, you know, sit there and, and – uh, you just kind of work through all these things. I mean, it's been, it's been in three phases so far. And that's something I've been real impressed with these guys of how methodical they've been working through it and, and the process that it's taken to not only work through my car, but they're also working on, uh, you know, Mike Coughlin's car and Matt Cummins car and, and, uh, then Jasmine Salinas in her car. So to sit there and have to run three cars in the van and, and try to work through, uh, the teething pains of a new car, that's probably been the most impressive part from my standpoint of all the years I've been racing and watching guys. Uh, to run multiple car teams is really, really difficult. So uh, especially when it's not going right or you have one car that's not performing like like they know it should. So uh, that part's really impressed me. And, and, I, and I've said it in every one of my interviews. I, I really enjoy racing with Rich and Richie, they, uh, the McPhillips family and the entire team. Everybody that 
they bring to the racetrack are people that you want to work with and you want to surround yourself with. And very, I feel very honored to drive for them. I know they're a great race team. Uh, and to be able to sit there and drive their race car and work with them, I, I genuinely have a lot of fun with them and uh, have a great appreciation for what, they, what they've done in the sport. I think one of the things that really speaks well about who they are and how they operate is the fact that they didn't chase a bunch of blind holes to get the car turned around. Like in, in my experience in this sport, and, and I'm sure in every motorsport, you can you can have really smart people that get almost fixated on a on a problem, and they just they dial into one area of the problem and they won't let it go until they realize that they've wasted half a season trying to figure out something that they didn't kind of open their eyes to. And obviously, these guys didn't fall fall down that hole, which happens almost more often than not, right? Yeah, and I think I think that's a great valid point. I think to expand on it, the thing that I like too is that they didn't just sit there and go, you know, at a race weekend, sit there and try to throw a bomb at it, so yeah. to speak. And that's yeah. that's a that's a senior a pops term. He goes, you know, guys will sit there and build a bomb, knowing that they got to pick up something, <laughs> so they got to take a chance and and they push everything as far as they can push it. And I, I was really impressed with the fact that he knew with where the settings were, where clutch weights and clutch disc and all the fueling he knew exactly where that car should be for those settings and knew that something was wrong and amiss and it was just a matter of finding it so uh, instead of sitting there and creating more problems by uh, you know pushing issues that aren't going to make a difference he he was very methodical about it and uh, you know that's that's why I feel like the McPhillips family has had this success that they've had in the industry and uh, I think they'll have that success going forward. One of the things that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with when we look at the transition you've made into into our sport, into the sport of drag racing, uh, is the the concentration, the sustained concentration level of uh, an IndyCar race, a NASCAR race, has to be just on the edge for three-plus hours versus our sport is really a sport where you need to find that concentration point each time you come to the starting line and there's this lull in the middle. I talked to a guy who's a really good was a really good sports and racer who worked his way into the pro ranks, and this guy still goes back to a moment when he was a kid racing junior dragsters. On every run, they would come around the top of the staging lanes, and his father would lean down in the car and look at him, and he said, "You need to give me everything for the next two minutes. I need everything for the next two minutes." And I'm wondering, in your own life, you raced through the dab when you were a kid, coming up through this. Are there any things from all the way back then that are still cogent, if not to drag racing, to any sort of racing that you do? I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I felt like IndyCar racing and NASCAR racing was easier than, than short track racing and drag racing from the standpoint that, you know, your adrenaline only gets up the one time and it stays up for three, three and a half hours in a cup race or an hour and a half, two hours in an IndyCar race. But drag racing, every time that, that you go up to run the car, that adrenaline has to come up and that focus has to be there. But then you might have two or three hours, even four hours in between when you run the car again that adrenaline wears off you you your energy goes down with it and then the next time it's time to go up there you got to rebuild that energy and and that adrenaline has to come back so figuring out how to control that and maintain it you're not trying to maintain that that level through the course of the whole day you have to have that peak and valley it's just learning and, and i'm having to learn this and i'm learning it a lot from matt and leah um, of how to control that and, and maintain it to where you don't stay up so long after the run that then when you kind of start crashing from the end of the adrenaline that then it's time to get back going the other way so it's uh, you know learning how to yeah, manage management. time and energy I guess more than anything and and 
how much of a help and I'm not going to say hindrance, but how much how much of a help is the is the, you know, open policy of the pits of drag racing? Listen, I'm not trying to do an ad here for the sport of drag racing, but it is and has been the hallmark of the sport since it started that the pits are open. And every Tom, Dick and Harry that comes in the gate can wander over there and see the cars and and hopefully run into the drivers and this and that. So it, is that actually a helpful way to find that balance back down again between runs? Is it helpful to be able to go out there and, and shake hands and sign T-shirts to, to kind of find that that lull that you need uh i don't know it's uh, the, the one thing i do agree with i i absolutely love the fact that the fans can come down i feel like that that is what makes drag racing so special you just don't get that in any other form of motorsports but it's uh you know the fun part is they're they're so different than i, I hate to say this than nascar fans i mean you go to a nascar track if they see you and you're in a uniform they are screaming yelling they're they're out of control and and if you don't give them what they want then you're the you're the worst person in the world (laughs) you you go to an nhra race and the fans are so respectful of your time they know that the drivers have to be in there working with the crew chiefs and if you want to spend time great and go out and sign you can sign for as long as you want or you can sign for as short as you want but the fans are very respectful about it and i think i know from my experience uh I enjoy spending more time with the fans because I you know they're more respectful. So I spend more time than I used to signing autographs just because of how the, the demeanor of everybody. But I think it is a way to manage that. I think if you need to burn off some of that energy uh, after a run, it's good to spend time with the fans. That seems to be when, you know, when I come back from a run in the A fuel car, I, I get help get it on jacks, go in and change clothes, yep. uh, come back out. We, we only have two full-time guys on each car. Uh, on the weekends, so I, I actually get to help a little bit nice. with the teardown of getting it, getting the valve cover off. So plug wires, plugs, you know, little easy stuff. It's not hard work that I'm doing, but it does help the guys out. And after that, there's a crowd behind the car that have watched our run and uh, you know, wash my hands and go back and sign autographs. And then after that's done, it's time to most of the time at a national event, it's time to go back over to the nitro pit. So uh, I find a pretty good balance. I feel like in in my the hours of my day at the track of how to balance the time with the fans and getting the work done that we need to get done at the same time. You know, it's uh, it's fair to say that Matt Hagen is 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 on an incredible season, a beginning to a season. We're we're not even really to to the quarter pole yet, but that there he is, really in the thick of things, week in and week out. And this guy is such a unique. He's such a unique character, not only in the annals of drag racing, but I would say in the annals of almost American motorsports, right? Who have you ever run into in in any genre of competition? Who do you equate this guy to to anybody else? Is there shades of some other person in there that you've competed against? Who would you align Matt Hagen with in dirt racing, stock car racing, anything? Nobody. There isn't anybody. <laughs> he's, he's a unique specimen for sure. He is, uh, I, I, I absolutely think the world of Matt. I, I love racing with him. Uh, he's got probably one of the most outgoing personalities and friendly personalities. But when he puts that helmet on and he gets in the seat, it's funny because I've, I've stood there and had a conversation while he's getting dressed, getting his helmet on getting everything uh you know ready to go and he's still talking about something we're going to do later in the day so it's funny to have the conversations with him but when he gets in the car he flips a switch and uh you know how he does everything at that point is is what he's supposed to do he goes and does his job but it's uh he's definitely one of those guys that is uh he is very unique i mean i i just honestly in my 
all my years of racing, I've never really been around a guy like Matt Hagen. And, and, he, and he is, in a way, kind of a transcendent guy for us because I know he spent time, he spent time, you know, some of the NASCAR races with, with uh, everything that's going on over there. He's, he's a, one of those people that, to me, is a, is a killer representative for our sport because even in a physical presence, he kind of is drag racing. It's, it's kind of just like, what the hell am I looking at here, right? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't matter what he puts on, how he dresses, he stands out in the crowd <laughs> for sure. So it's uh, it makes him it makes him very recognizable, no matter what form of motorsports he's at on that weekend. But uh, you know, he's just a great guy. I, like I said, I love racing with him. I love his personality. Uh, he's intense. I mean, if things aren't going right, he he's right. trying to figure out how to how to help the team make it better and. Uh, you know my my stint here in in the sport as a driver. I mean he's he's worked with me as much as Leah's worked with me and tried to give advice. And uh, you know every time we go make a run, when I come back over to their pit, he's high fiving me if I had a good light or good run. And you know he, they're watching them even though they're in the middle of their day and their work, they're uh, they're paying attention to what we're doing. So he, he's a great teammate. He, he is, and he's, a, again, a great, uh, just a great kind of character in our sport, a great ambassador kind of across all levels. Um, Ron Capps got tapped to race in the SRX series this year. I think it's huge for us. I think it's great. Um, how excited are you to, to finally be able to get a drag racer guy in the in the field? I talked about it after year one. Uh, honestly, I, I it was something that was on my radar. Obviously, you know, the first year, Ray Abraham pretty much picked everybody sure. that he wanted. Uh, I got to pick last year and then pick this year. And, uh, you know, we, Ron's ran, Ron and Cruz Petragon both ran the prelude to the dream at Eldora yes. when we used to have that event. And uh, they did well. So, um, you know, I know Cruz is a big dirt track fan as well. And, and I did see him at Indy and he didn't give me a hard time about not getting <laughs> him in a car there yet. But, but he's still on my radar to get back in a car as well. It's, um, you know, I feel like they've paid their dues. And, and, you know, there's not, I think a dirt race like that, and especially, you know, having Ron go to Eldora, he's been there before, he knows the track. Um, you know, most of the guys that are running the SRX cars aren't dirt drivers, so it, it takes a little bit of the disadvantage away. Um, so I, I feel like it was the right event for him to be there. And, and, you know, Ron is a huge name in drag racing, so I feel like um, for us as a series, I mean, having him come on board is going to bring a fan base to the SRX series that we haven't seen before. So, uh, I'm excited to have him. He, I know he's excited about coming, and uh, you know, like I said, I think he'll do a great job. Yeah, it's great, and it's a it's a fun, unique situation for drag racing in that uh, all the people that you know, whether Matt Hagen or John Forsky or, or J.R. Todd gear to the racetrack, kind of get to put that to the side and just root for our sport and root for our guy. We have a we have one guy, and he's uh, you know kind of going to pin our hopes and and dreams on him. You know, the SRX series has been to me a great breath of fresh air, and and. American Motorsports over the last couple of years, the first couple of seasons, I, I one of the things I truly enjoy about watching those races is it's a tight package to watch, and I'm seeing racetracks I never would have seen otherwise. It's a really cool thing. Like, you know, you guys go to Connecticut. Uh, I've been down there. I've been to the track up in Vermont you're racing at, but some of these small tracks that are just like icons in their region, I would have never seen before, and I get to watch them, and it's super fun. Yeah, and that's something that I've, I've been excited about that, too. I mean, there's been some tracks that I've been to. Slinger Speedway, I'd, I'd never been to Slinger before. <laughs> um, I'd raced at the Nashville Fairgrounds way back in 96 or 97, maybe, um, when I started in the NASCAR, at the time, Bush Series. Um, but there's a lot of neat places like that, that that we're going to that I haven't been to or haven't been to for a long time. And 
I think it's important to help showcase a lot of these short tracks to where yes. people go, wow, we didn't even know we had a track in that area. And, yes. and maybe maybe because of an SRX race, these people decide to go on a Saturday night and support their local short track. So I feel like that's something that's unique and different. And, uh, you know, they don't always have to have all the lipstick that all the NASCAR tracks and IndyCar tracks have. They can they can be a little rough around the edges. That's uh, what makes but, it great. I mean, that's, yes, what, that's exactly. what makes it that's what makes it freaking great. It's like, so, you know, when I kind of sneak off sometimes and do some of the outlaw drag racing stuff or whatever, it's not because it's the flash and dash. It's because... In my own mind, I I need that little I need that little dip in the river to like cleanse my soul a little bit, right? You, you always to me you always want that reminder that it's like it's not all spit polished out here. Like there's some grit and there's some ugliness and 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 all of that is great. Yeah, but it's you know you you look at pet owners. I mean, I've seen some ugly pets and they think their pets are beautiful, and that's the way it is with racetracks too. You know, we we go to some of these places and yeah, they're rough around the edges, but we look at them yeah. as man, this is a really cool place, yep. and it's more about the atmosphere. It's yep. about the track itself. It's not about all the glitz and glamour that goes with it. It's it's truly about the personality that each of these tracks hold on their own. No, absolutely. So uh, you've accomplished two very cool things this year among everything, but the two tracks you've won at, you kind of complete these circuits, whereas like Vegas, now you, you can claim victory on all their racing services at the, you know, at the giant Las Vegas Motor Speedway Complex. Now at Indianapolis, you've won in the drag strip, and you've won in the oval. The road course has long since beat been decommissioned before you even had a shot would have had a shot to race on it so i'm I'm running through my head chicago we don't have alcohol cars you did win at chicago but you can't you can't complete that one this year but what about topeka did you ever run a sprint car at the dirt track at topeka no i didn't have the opportunity i wasn't running wing sprint cars when they were running at topeka on the drag strip there but um you know we we IRP, I actually did get an opportunity at IRP to run the road course in a go-kart. Oh, you did? A lay-down go-kart back in the day. So, uh, And my father raced there in SCCA years ago, so that, that would have been cool to be able to, to knock that off the list. But uh, Topeka was one that when they would run the World of Outlaw shows there, I always wanted to see the race because it was a really tight. Uh, the corners were very, very tight because they laid it on the drag strip. But man, it was a fun race to watch because of that it was it was a little bit different than the normal world outlaw races, and uh, a lot of the non-wing drivers did really well there because they're used to backing the cars in the corner, and gotcha. uh, that's what they had to do at Topeka to be fast. It's uh yeah, it's 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 kind of fun to to watch you check these things off, and and it's neat. I was running through my mind. It's like where else could he do it? So now you've answered my Topeka question. <laughs> um, one last one last topic, kind of before we before I let you go, and that is you know you come out of Indy. And you're basically one point out of the lead nationally in top alcohol dragster. And again, long season to go, regionals, nationals, the whole works. Um, how have you approached these situations in the past in terms of are you the typical we don't count points, we just go out there to win the race? Or are you the type of guy that does know exactly where you sit in the points? I, I would love to tell you after Sunday was over that I was calm, cool, and collected and didn't even care about what the point standings looked like. But I was like, Leah, where do I find the point standings? And it, and it wasn't even posted yet when I asked her to. And then she looked later in the night and filled me in that we were one point behind Julie. So uh, I would love to act like I don't watch the points, but I, I, I am very diligent during a race weekend of you, you got to race the race. Yes. And and I, I feel like Sunday night on your way home from the events when you look at the point standings, but when when you show up and you roll into the facility for the, the track you're racing that weekend, you got to be focused one race at a time. It's uh you know, and especially this is kind of new deal for me where you're, you claim races, you yep. throw away some of those races. So it, being second in the point standings at this point really isn't 
an accurate assessment. I mean, it gives you a good idea of how the year's going, uh, but it's not a true reading of the true point standings because of drivers that are in a throw races away and this and that. So uh, I'm proud of where we're at. It's, it's neat to be a point out of the lead, even though it's, you know, it, most of that's going to shake out later in the year and you're going to know who's throwing races away and have a better idea. But it's, um, yeah, I'd be foolish if and I'd be lying. I'd be straight face lying <laughs> to you if I told you that I wasn't sitting there going, hey, I feel like we've got a shot now. I mean, I feel like uh, after Vegas and Charlotte and, and now Indy this past weekend, I, I legitimately feel like that, you know, whether it happens or not, I feel like we're one of the drivers that have to be considered at the end of the year to, to can win this thing if, if we put it all together. Stripping all of it away, just going right down to the core racer Tony Stewart. Not not the team owner, not the car owner, not the racetrack owner, just the pure racer Tony Stewart. When you win the regional race at Indy, you pull around the corner at the top end, and there's no balloons all over the place, and there's no tent, and there's no jib camera, and there's no million people running in circles like they're chicken with their head cut off. Is it a little bit more enjoyable for pure racer Tony Stewart to have that environment than the circus? <laughs> it was. It's funny you bring it up because we you know, we finished the run, you know, the quads pushed us off the track. And as soon as they got done pushing us off the track, the quads disappeared and there wasn't a soul at the top end other than Jackie and myself. And just the con, you know, getting out of the car and, you know, I saw the wind light, so I knew I'd won. She noticed her light didn't come on. So we both knew what the outcome was, but you know, when I don't know what to say, I, I, yeah. I'm new to the drag racing side and there's one person that's going to win and there's one person that's going to lose no matter what yep. and there's no sugarcoating it so the only thing i knew to ask her when she got out was you know did you have a did you have a clean run and she goes yeah yeah you know she went through that and, and but it was just fun to have that camaraderie with yeah. her and that's the way the whole alcohol pit is it's uh and it's that way in the pro pit as well but it was there wasn't all the fanfare and and even when at a national race you've got all the tv people up there and all the officials up there it, it, it still doesn't feel the same as when you get down in front of the crowd on the return road. Yeah. But, um, but it, it was fun to have that moment with Jackie, whether we won or lost, uh, you know, I enjoy having those conversations with the drivers I'm racing with. And, you know, it, I, I've said it from day one. I mean, they've welcomed me with open arms and, and that's something that's really made running in the top alcohol class. So much fun for me is I get to race with, a team that I enjoy racing with. I get to race with teams and drivers that I'm getting to know and learn as we go on. And, and, uh, I like racing with these guys. It's, uh, they make it a lot of fun as well. Whether you win, lose or draw, they, they have a good time and it's just a great class. So, uh, but yeah, it, the racer in me was like this. I, I still celebrated the same as I did at, at the <laughs> national when I won. I was so excited up there and you're trying to not be too excited because right, the only other right. person that's next to you up there is the one that just lost but <laughs> yeah you know I, it's hard when the crew guys get down there and they're excited you know for the weekend yeah. and they know what we accomplished over the course of the weekend and what we've fought at the beginning of the year to get where we're at so it's hard to mask that excitement when they get down there well man you're going to be joining us in the booth this weekend or this next weekend in chicago and it's going to be great you me and the me and the two tonys and we're gonna have a bunch of fun up there it's <laughs> going to be a killer race returning to that track after four years so Sincerely appreciate your time, man. You're like the halfway the busiest man in America. So uh, thanks for carving some time out of your day. Uh, take a deep breath, however deep you can take for the next couple of days, and I will see you uh, in Juliet, Illinois. Well, we're going to have us a nice little break, and then uh, I'm excited to go there. I'm, I'm sad that we're not running alcohol there that weekend, but 
uh, we've got a lot of friends from that area that are going to be out for the weekend to watch Matt and Leah run, and uh, I'm excited to work with you guys on Sunday up there, so looking forward to it. He's Tony Stewart. We'll be right back with our next guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. All right, so we're back here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Our second guest in the show is the first of our two Chicago-based racers that have great stories coming into this revival of the Route 66 Nationals, driver of the freshly minted new Rustolian Top Field Dragster, TJ Zizzo. How you doing, man? It sounds great to hear you say <laughs> new Top Field Dragster, I must say. Does it have this does it still have the new dragster smell? yeah it does it does it has that new smell new feel new sounds new sights it's uh it's spectacular to just see it in shop and um know that it has state-of-the-art potential to do well i mean that's that's exciting to us something that i haven't had in my very very long career i've been doing this since i was 16 years old in 1991 so to see a new car that resembles the best in the business is exciting for us so this decision was made you guys run st louis in september or late season uh 2021 you run st louis and it's at that time that you kind of huddle up and and have a i don't want to say a come to jesus but you have this moment where you have to make a decision as to whether you are done and you don't feel like you're competitive anymore or you're going to move forward with new equipment so what was the big driving factor in that was the old car too heavy was it too worn out was it too this that it couldn't be you know front half why the decision to simply to make the major kind of quantum leap forward with the program (laughs) boy that this could be like a 30 minute answer (laughs) um so first of all i remember the day vividly right um we just got beat we barely qualified um we got beat first round. I believe Brittany Force just stomped us. I think she ran a 64 or something. Okay. I saw next to me. As we were trying really hard, right? Hold on one second. I'm turning off my alarm. Um, we tried, We were trying really hard to run better. Yeah. Um, in 2021, uh, Ron Tobler came aboard to actually help us physically at the racetrack. Yeah. Now, we know Ron has always been uh, helping our team geez for for a decade and a half or so right um but it was the first time he was at the track really trying to help us and after going to a couple of events and going to st louis and not doing as well as as we expected he he was basically like man i'm sorry i really didn't help your program and i said you never need to be sorry about that so um, most of our team member was just waiting to leave the pit area on that Sunday from St. Louis. And we were just leaning on the, on our trailer, right? Just talking. Yeah. And it, it came to the, conc- we came to the conclusion pretty quickly that it was, it was time to try something new. It was yeah. time to try a new car itself, the chassis, um, you know, we had been running a McKinney car uh, for a decade and a half, and, and the car served us very well. Sure. I mean, McKinney builds a very safe, good race car. I always felt good climbing in it um, to drive it. It was very safe. Um, but we also knew that it wasn't as flexible and it wasn't yeah. up to date like the rest of our competitors. Sure. Right? Yeah, and we tried really had, hard. The world had changed around it, basically, yeah. It sure did, because it was a 1999 car. It was built a long time ago, um, and everything had changed since then. So, you know, every time I looked up the scoreboard going through the finish line, it was another 375. It was another 375, and I'm just like, 
gosh, you know, and the, the conclusion was we needed to change and we needed to do something. Now, keep in mind, you know, I'm saying this with knowing that we are racing certainly through 2025 at the time with our contracts. So, you know, I know we have some time ahead of us. I know, you know, money will trickle in as yep. we go along. So why not make that adjustment now? Yeah. Um, and coincidentally, we get back. I'm washing our semi in the next to our shop and I get a phone call from Don Schumacher. Um, and that really set everything in the motion once I talked to my dad about it. Right. Um, and Don was willing to help us. So, you know, that was all wonderful. These are great, wonderful things. I'm, I'm glad I am blessed to be surrounded by the, some of the best people in the sport, you know? So we try to take advantage of that as much as we can. Right. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. And, and, you know, to me, I think one of the hallmarks of, of what you guys have always done and, and even what you did with this car is like is doing it right and doing it right in the quantity that you can do it right in. And the way that the methodical assembly of this car is was one of the things that I, I, I will forever respect because this was not like, OK, let's work 14 hours a day every weekend and, and just smash this thing together and get it out as quickly as possible. I mean, I am I am almost in awe of the fact you guys had the self-control to do this at the pace you did. And I guess that ensures that it's done correctly, because my understanding is you went out and had a nice test session. Yeah, you are correct. I mean, it, this this build drove my dad crazy. <laughs> it, it really drove him crazy. Um, we did take the time to do this correctly. We wanted everything the best it could be. Now I say that, and, and it's everything isn't the best it could be. It still needs a lot of work, right? We are still working out a lot of details as, as I'm talking to you. Um, we are still an all-volunteer team that yeah. comes to the shop every Tuesday night, every Sunday, many days in between to methodically put this thing together because originally Don was excited to have his team put together an entire car for us, right? That, that's, that was his goal. He said, hey, let, let my guys at the shop put all this stuff together for you and then, you know, you could go out and race it. And at very first, that sounded like a wonderful idea, but I am surrounded by a, a really kick-ass team. So, we decided as a team collectively to bring it in-house and build it. Now, did we collect a lot of parts from Don Schumacher Racing? Absolutely. Sure. Did we bring them back here and massage them? Absolutely. And going to that test session, you know, I thought either my dad was going to kick my ass, right? <laughs> or he may smile. And, you know, I, I, I once again, you know, he's, he's my dad. I respect him every day. But the way in which we put this car together drove him crazy because we were so crazy about things. Like, he wanted to just put it together. And we would put it together, and he would put it together, and we would then take it apart and try to do it better. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, honestly, there were many times when a team member walked out the door, and I was wondering if he was going to return. Is or this not, guy coming right? back? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and I would just keep my head down and whittle in the corner and, you know, keep on working. And, and those things give me the chills because it did prove itself when we went to test and it was 50 degrees outside, right? Yeah. You know, but I stood on the gas and I couldn't believe the force. I couldn't believe how this car reacted because um, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to go up there and 
blow the tires start. off or yeah if it's gonna start sure sure right um and, and this this goes to once again the the people that continue to help us outside our pit area i mean i i don't know why it can't be my bubbly personality because i'm not always nice right like it is just the idea that i can go to someone like bobby lagana from the beginning and ask him questions yeah. i could go to someone like Tato kahara which worked for Don Schumacher Racing, which could lead us in the right direction. I can go to someone like Don Lagana. Don Lagana, I've been on the phone or texting him every day for six months <laughs> building this car. Yeah. And he's been instrumental. Of course, Ron Kobler getting instruction on how to run a, a top fuel dragster again since the, you know, Morgan Lucas days, whenever the last time he really worked on a top fuel yeah. dragster. Yeah. Um, you know, he learned a lot. So he was able to bring some knowledge to our team. So, and then of course, our crew chief, Mike Kern, he's one of the smartest young men in the sport. I know when I call him young men, he's 50 something, right? Um, but he's methodical. Yeah. He's he's an engineer by trade. He, he drives us all crazy. And then when I get to drive him crazy with my little, you know, uh, little thought process of this whole process, then it's good. It, it works well together. I'm glad that, I am surrounded by the best in the business to make this car somewhat successful. We'll see. You know, one of you talk about how tight knit the crew is and and how dedicated they are, which clearly they are. But does this process change that in an in an even a kind of a next level way? In that it would seem to me, all the guys that have gone through this with you, from from you know that bare chassis sitting there and to being assembled. Like I'm sure all those guys feel like they have a little bit of a, a piece of their own heart, soul, and, and and dare I say, kind of a little ownership stake in this car now. Maybe even beyond what they did, they were so dedicated and passionate about what they did before. But now this thing that they've bled over and sweat over and cried over for a year is actually on its wheels again. That seems to take that concept of of team even further along than than usual. It gives everyone incentive to continue to show up for Culver's or Taco Bell or a local hot dog stand here in Chicago's dinner, right? Yeah, um, yeah it, it does. And once again, Brian, I, I don't know why I'm so blessed that, that this team continues to to show up and, and work on this race car, but it has given everyone a little pep in their step, you know? I mean... Uh, it almost brings a tear to my eye right now. I'm just thinking about the dedication of these team members, some in which have worked for my dad and I for over 30 years. Yeah, that's amazing. And most of them approaching two decades with us. Yeah. And it, it, it takes money, but it takes knowledge in this sport. And I am surrounded by it. These guys they weren't put on this earth to work on a top field dragster. They were, <laughs> right. they were put on this earth to do other things, and they still continue to pour their time and effort into this and do the best they can. We don't. This is not what we do full time. All of us have regular jobs, yeah. so we still enjoy the hell out of this. It's it's what gets us up in the morning. It's what keeps me up at two thirty in the morning. You know, it's it's awesome. What's what's like kind of double down old school about this is that. In modern drag racing at the professional level, we almost see the cars as a commodity in that, 
and and you know I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw a team out there, but I'm not taking a shot at. I'm just using him as an example. But in that, we look at what happened with with Jr. Todd out in Pomona. He gets he's an un, unwitting victim in in a, one run where he gets smashed into by another guy and the car is ruined. The next time the car goes down the racetrack, it just blows itself to pieces. And yet two weeks later, we see them back with a car and a backup car because they can do that. And so then it, it kind of gives that car, in my opinion, a little bit of a commodity look. Yeah, well, you just have one. You know, it's like Pez. You just pull the head back on the dispenser and here <laughs> comes another one. But this this is like this is like 1960s stuff where the guys go to the garage and they build the car and then they show up to the racetrack. And granted, DSR chassis, we know that. But in terms of the in terms of the time and, and preparation done here and the approach, it's very different. And whether that's whether that's me just being cheesy or not, I don't know. But I have to believe that as as connected as a crew guy on another team, a larger team that can just turn these chassis and cars around very quickly, feels about the car versus what your guys feel about the car. I mean, this thing's basically a member of their family now. <laughs> we, we have fallen in love with it. I believe, yeah. you know, I believe that's why we fell in love with our Murph McKinney car for so long. And we were in love with it because we fondled it so much. Right, right. Gu- guaranteed yeah. we fondled it more than we fondle our spouses, you know? <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, that that was probably some of the reason that we held on to that old car for so long and had so much hope about it. But then to stand on this, on the gas on yeah. this car and see it go to the finish line the way it did almost finish line right i mean thank god the team member shut me off you know but okay, it's like yeah, but, yeah. just trust me i was like holy cow this is amazing <laughs> you know um but but anyway yeah our guys are, are we are a throwback team um we made the decision back in 2014 to attend less races and have a bigger budget for each race that was a that was a team commitment a, a team thought process and how can we make our team better it was also we reasonably always, unique at that time in not the not the maybe infrequency of appearances but the idea that it, it was it was choosing one over the other like instead of scraping by as many times as possible let's let's do this correctly fewer times and honestly at that time in in the sport that was a unique decision which has led other people to make the same thing sorry to jump in on you but i just wanted to clarify that to the to the listeners no, it's so cool. It's it's great. Well, I'll read an article in National Dragster, and when I'm reading this article, it says, "Hey, we're trying to do this like the Zizos do," you know, and and that's amazing. And and it's hard to do that. You need a lot of self control to say, "Hey, let's not go to the race this weekend. Let's work on our stuff to make it better." Yeah. Right? I mean, that's hard to do. It's everyone wants to go to the racetrack, right? To hunker down in the back of your uh, shop and grind on head gaskets for four days that, that that's a that's a lot more challenging what um when you went to the test session what as you went through it did you work on it as a simulated style race day uh was that something that just to get the crew some reps in a, in a turnaround time scenario or was it was it looser than that <laughs> oh boy no we, we wouldn't have made the second qualifying pass no 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 um no I, our goal was truly um for me to let the clutch puddle out and see if it would roll on the ground through the water box to do a burnout. Really? And I'm not kidding you because you know, the five disc um, is certainly different than the modern day six disc. And we ran a five disc forever. We were one of the five disc mafia because of Ron Tobler. Right. So, you know, even that was a change that at very first Ron was like, no, you don't need to do that. But now it's all made sense. So, um, you know, 
it was just that. And it was just to shake out a car. And quite honestly, Brian, I, I didn't know if this, when I stood on the gas, I didn't know if the car was going to even move more than four feet. Yeah. Right. Um, and pleasantly surprised when it ran at 825, 60 foot right out of the box, you know? Um, but once again, that is the dedication of, and all the aggravation of our team member, right? There's, there's dedication, but there's aggravation because you, you have to have people have a little conflict to make something better, you oh, know? I agree. That is a, that and, is an absolute fact. And I, I got to tell you, we spent, and I'm not going to exaggerate, we probably spent 100 hours over a brake handle in this race car, putting it on, taking it off, getting a different one, making sure I fit well, and no, we don't like this, and oh my God, we have the parachute levers here. It, it was it was, it was, was absolutely aggravating, but in the end, I was comfortable, the car was good, and it performed well. So, no, we had no intention of going through the reps all we wanted to do was stand on the gas and see what happened. It took us three and a half hours to get the car prepped to make another pass. Yeah. So, so, and of course we went through everything methodically, made sure the chassis was good, inspected every weld and, you know, went through and made sure every nut and bolt was tight and stuff after that first pass. But, you know, once again, even the tooling that you need to work on this car is different than we had. Okay. So now we're going through all that. So, you know, our intention was to just make as many passes as we could that day and get gather as much information. And like I said, I was just happy that my dad wasn't going to strangle me after the first pass and say, <laughs> it took us two years to get this thing together and we suck. That wasn't the case, you know. <laughs> was, um, you know, you make that run and you, you pull off down there and it's a test session, so it's kind of quiet. And there's nobody down there. Was it kind of emotional for you, like what, that first hit? making it to the finish line or almost to the finish line, however far you took it and understanding that the car was working well and, and getting that sensation, but you're kind of down there and it's quiet and it's cold and there's no one around for a couple of minutes. Was that uh, a little bit of a moment of reflection for you? Well, you described it perfectly, right? You, you do a wonderful job of describing things. It was cold. It, it was peaceful. There was nobody around, uh, but my adrenaline was through the roof. I mean, I was, I was jacked up to that first 400 foot mark and I knew it was hauling ass. Like I could, I could feel yeah. it, although I haven't driven in two years, you know, but I was like, holy cow. And I was just happy it made it out there. Right. But it wasn't until we get back to the pit area, my adrenaline went down and we were working to, to prepare for another, another test session or another round of testing. And I went into the trailer and I was by myself and I was just gathering my thoughts for a moment. Actually, I went into the semi to gather my, my, you know, in the cab of our semi to just grab something. I think it was my computer. And I stopped and I just started tearing up for no reason at all. Just, yeah. just out of the blue. And it was because of all that hard work that was paying off. And, you know, it, 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 I had two emotions. One, why the F didn't we do this a long time ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we could have been so much more competitive for the past six, seven, eight years. Or, God darn it, we just did this. We did a good job. Let's move forward. Yeah. You know? And look, there are people... Uh, there were people that would be very happy to be able to show up to the racetrack with a 375 car and, and you know, clink a couple beer cans together at the end of the night and pat themselves on the back and go home with it. It is inspiring, and I admire the fact that that is not you and that is not the group of people that you race with. And it's it's not simply just to show up there and walk around with a fire suit on and, and hit the throttle a couple of times. It is, it is legitimately a desire to compete and to prove that you can't compete with anybody else that pulled through the gate. I hope that every single time 
competitors of ours see our name on an entry list they worry you know that that has always been our goal um i i wake up in the morning competitive um our business we're in a competitive business um we make sure that we do the best we can every day i i fear failure i fear it so you know we do want to go to the racetrack with with the best intention to do well we this is way too much work for the fun element. It, this isn't fun to us. This is a lot of work to be dedicated to do the best darn job we can, period. No, that's great, man. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be a, a lot of very excited drag racing fans in Chicago at the Route 66 Nationals because of the fact we haven't been there since 19. But we have such a great element of Chicago-based racers that are going to be there. Um, I, I can only imagine how people will react when, when you when you come out from underneath the tower and, and we call your name out over the PA. I think there's going to be a lot of really dedicated Chicago land area fans that are excited that you're going to be sitting there and hopefully many of them listen to this show but I think there's going to be a lot of them that maybe don't know that you're in new pipe and when they see hopefully knock on wood the thing go out there and and haul some ass that uh, makes them even more excited well you just gave me the chills sir you did you described that very well um and you got to remember I am surrounded by wonderful people but the fans keep me together right you know i'll be i'll be sitting working on something for 10 hours straight on our race car and i'll get a phone call from a fan and you know first of all fans think we're crazy like you know <laughs> all the time and effort it takes to put a race car together some of them don't understand that right and it's yeah. okay yeah but when i try to describe to them they're like well you just went testing you should be ready to go to joliet no man we're not even close to getting ready to you know we we have a we have 1500 man hours to put in before we even get to our next event so you know those things when that when those fans call or i get a letter or i get fan mail or i get an email those things those fans push me to do better you know so as you described this car and i'm i'll probably be one of the first pairs coming out of the out of the under the the hour right um i do hope this car goes out there and performs and and i do hope those things but we could also go out there and not start yeah yeah that's that's the reality of a new car that is the reality of a new car so last question and i'll leave you with this um you know i it's it's funny there i'm not gonna again i will leave the names out to to protect the guilty but you know we'll oftentimes hear over the pa system a car that may not be running a a full 21 race 22 race season for a, a championship well they're out here racing with no pressure and i hate that because to what you just said, and, and I think what you just said backs up my own viewpoint on this topic in that, of course, you're out there racing with pressure. Like you're racing with your own pressure. Everybody's got their own pressure. It's not it's not you're not counting points for a championship. But my God, you're 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 counting the hours you spend and the tears you shed and the blood you shed over this race car. So what is that for you? And, and, I, and maybe it's positive. Maybe it's negative. Maybe it's neutral. But when we talk about this this selective race schedule, we talk about showing up to compete. When we talk about pressures, they're not championship pressures. So what are they? Oh no, they're they're very emotional pressures, right? No, I our entire team puts pressure on themselves to do the best they can. This is the this is drag racing at a professional level. If you don't have pressures, or if you're not anxious about something, if you don't fear it then stay home. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what I live for. This is what I almost lose a marriage over. Right. I mean, this is, 
this is it. This is, and I do this on a part-time level. If there's no pressure, I might as well go play golf because there's no pressure there because I'm not good at it. (laughs) Right. Amen to that, man. Hey, TJ, it's great to have you back in the fold. Congratulations on the successful completion of the race car, a successful test session, and what will be, uh, it'll be your second homecoming weekend, the last one since your senior year of high school. You get to have a homecoming weekend again. (laughs) Thank you, Brian. Uh, Our entire team appreciates it. He is TJ Zizzo, driver of the Rustolium Top Fuel Dragster, Chicago guy who will be at the Route 66 Nationals. Stick with me because when we come back, we have another nitro-powered Chicago racer who's coming back home to his racetrack. So we are back with our third guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast as we continue to talk about Chicago, and he's our second Chicago-based guy with a great story. Chris King, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Brian. It's uh, very exciting times, I can tell you for sure. I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're probably not even sleeping at this point, right? We're still a week out from the race, but I'm thinking every every night probably feels like Christmas Eve. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, since this deal came together, you know, we've been busting our tails trying to get the car ready. Terry's out in Omaha every night working at the shop, getting this thing ready to go, parts and pieces, trying to get crew guys together, trying to get tickets together and just arranging everything. So it's, it's been a whirlwind for sure. So I want to talk about the genesis of this whole thing. And, and I'm guessing I'm guessing this started when we announced we were headed back to Chicago. As a Chicago guy, as a, a Chicago fireman, I am sure that uh, you put this on the calendar and this was something you were not going to miss. So is that kind of when... And obviously, you want to be out as much as you can. But when we announced we were going back to Chicago, did you kind of shift into high gear or what? Pretty much. I mean, I've been working my tail off since my last race in St. Louis in 21 to try to put this deal back together and and get back out there. But when we found out that Joliet was coming back on the schedule, that, that did light a fire under me. I raced there, you know. When I was in Alcohol Funny Car, which was great because, you know, all my friends and family came out to support me. And this is my shot at the big times now since I'm running Nitro to get all my friends and family, firefighters, and everybody to come down and see me take my shot at running against the biggest names in the business. No, it's great. And, uh, you know, we look right now and there's 18 funny cars on the sheet. The the entry deadline is next Monday, so we may, who knows, pick up one or two. But otherwise, we're going to have a full field across all the pro categories, which is good. It's going to make your life more difficult. You guys are going to have to qualify. But I want to talk about, first off, I want to talk about the race car. Obviously, you know, you're going to be racing with Terry, who is uh, one of the smartest guys out there. What he's able to do. Um, with the resources and what he has going for him is is fantastic. So let's talk about one getting hooked up with Terry and two kind of what the what the game plan is coming into Chicago. So I initially was hooked up with Terry Totten through Chip Lofton, and I owe everything I'm doing right now to Chip. He uh, he threw me a bone, and he didn't have to. Um, it wasn't nothing huge financially, but he put the right people in the right places and introduced me to Terry Totten back in 2021. Okay, that I could kind of get my foot in the door for Nitro Funny Car. At that time, Mark Howard owned the car, and that's one of uh, Terry's good friends, and they were just starting to play with the idea of fielding a funny car. So we decided to go out and start making some hits in the funny car. We ran three national events that year, and it ended up uh, shaking down a lot of uh, issues in Gremlins that we found being a new Nitro team. I mean, there's things that we learned as tuners and car owners and then of course i learned a ton of stuff being a new driver (laughs) so you know chip put that deal together and then terry and i just naturally hit it off we both kind of have a sarcastic sense of humor (laughs) and we're both just diehard guys that work monday through friday jobs don't have any money but we love racing nitro and the the great thing about terry is is he can make a car run and not hurt a motor yes not smash a bearing not take a head off 
So that helps me out tremendously being self-funded primarily yeah. and running nitro. It, it makes a big deal. Well, it really does. And, and you know, we saw that great race he had in the top field category with Joey Haas out there in Denver a couple of years ago. They made the final round. And, you know, the, his cars to me are known for, one, getting down the racetrack. And this, this funny car being a new project to a degree because of the amount of runs on it. But the cars typically make it to the finish line and they make it to, and they make it to the finish line without hurting parts, as you mentioned, which is a, a hugely important thing. Why so much funny car and not top fuel for you? In that, you know, Terry had the top fuel car, which he's since uh, he's since sold that car, which I think is probably good for him as well to be able to concentrate on what he's doing here with the funny car. But why has it always been funny car for you? Well, there's there's two parts of that one, and I'm going to quote Timmy Wilkerson on this one. You could take a little girl off the stands and put her in a top fuel car and go down the track. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding on that. <laughs> that. That's just a joke. I'm just kidding to all the top fuel guys. They're they're badass. But uh, seriously, though, the reason I'm in Funny Car is I grew up, uh, you know, racing door cars kind of at Great Lakes Dragway. Sure. But what really got me hooked in Funny Cars was coming up with my buddy Andy Bull okay. in uh, Alcohol Funny Car, where I was a crew guy for, you know, 10 plus years doing clutches and heads and all kinds of stuff working on them. So I've just always been hovered towards Funny Car. The allure to me being an adrenaline junkie. You know, yeah. I, I run into in buildings. I like to go fast. I like to do things <laughs> that are crazy. So the, the short wheelbase, the motor sitting in my lap, just the excitement and the sheer drivability of the car. Yeah. It's, it's just so unpredictable and such an animal. It just that's alluring to me you know, to give it a shot. No, absolutely. And that makes total sense. And, you know, it's funny when we see drivers like, you know, Sean Langdon went went into the funny car category for a couple of seasons after a long career in top fuel. He's obviously since gone back to top fuel. But, you know, a guy like him that's driven pretty much everything was like, there's no comparison. Like, there's no comparison between these two things. They might as well be from different planets. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely insane. And I've never driven a top fuel dragster. Almost did. Almost, uh, Terry and I almost put me in a dragster. And then Luigi Navelli called me and I went down and actually sat in his his dragster, but that was kind of like putting a six foot two guy in a little tight pedal car. <laughs> so I, I had my knees behind my ears, and there's like there's there's no way this is going to happen without yeah. some serious changes. And to put that kind of money into an operation that my heart isn't behind wasn't sure. the right deal. So yeah. we decided to chase after the funny car. No, and that's and that's another part of your story that I'm always like interested in, and guys that are that are just unwilling to give it up and unwilling in a good way to keep fighting and and doing everything they can to, to get into this thing because to me that takes a great deal of self-control right like if you wanted it if you wanted to just rush your way into something you probably could have you could have you know in theory smashed your way into that car and then really gained nothing from it except you know lightening your wallet and having them make a bunch of changes so what does that self-discipline come from because it would be easy one to just say okay well i tried and it's over and two it would be easy to just take anything that floats by even if it's not the right thing well, that, that's kind of a loaded loaded question per se. The NHRA is so competitive and so hard to get yeah. to this level. I mean, on many different things, but the money, the sponsors, the cutthroat. I mean, there, there's so much that goes into it that little guys like me literally get slapped in the face every day. Yeah. But my big thing is when I was coming up and saying I'm going to be a driver, people are like, you ain't going to drive. You're an idiot. You're stupid. I'm like, well, you know what? Game <laughs> game on. Challenge accepted. So then I got my license and I did phenomenally. So then I started driving. I'm like, you know what? I got this. I'm going for it. Yeah. You only live once. Yep. You know, I don't want any regrets. So I'm going to go nitro racing. That's what I've always wanted to do. I'm, I'm going to do it. I don't have the money. I don't have the name. I don't have the backing. But you know what? I saved my pennies. I worked my tail off. 
I got an opportunity because of my hustle. Yeah. So that opportunity led to a few things. Was it the the debut I wanted to do? No, we you know we we out there we looked presentable, but I wanted to perform better. Sure. And that deal kind of went away for a little bit, and I took twenty two off, which was the hardest thing for me ever since I had a taste of it. I bet. Yeah. Once yeah. Once you get that. Once you get the needle right. Once you get the needle, you want it again. Yeah. It was the worst not having a ride lined up for 22 and watching other things happen and progressing. People that I had talked to about sponsorships or possible rides excelling or new people coming in. It's like, just grinding your teeth and making you want it more. So the the desire is is there because people told me I couldn't do it and I would never be able to do it. Well, look at me. Here I am. Yeah. And my biggest message to people that are listening, never give up on your dreams. If it's something you want, chase it. You'll make it happen. Never give up. No, it's great, man. It's great. And you're, you're an, an absolute case study in that. So this is a good looking race car. I've uh, seen the renderings. The renderings are beautiful. And your graphic designer on this project is a pretty great story in and to itself. And I'm not sure everybody knows this. So, so one, who designed it? Whose name's going to be down the side? And how did that whole thing come together? So this is the coolest story in the world. And it was all by chance because I didn't even put two and two together at first. I was on Twitter and I saw some cool concept cars for funny cars. I'm like, wow, this is is pretty cool. This guy is doing some good work. I'm going to reach out to him. Well, it just happened to be a kid named Jason Beckman. (laughs) So I reached out to Jason. I'm like, hey, I saw your stuff. Uh, I got a couple irons in the fire. Would you like to work with me on some concepts? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So we fired off six, seven, eight different car concepts and I'm sending out proposals to different sponsors and competition products and Howard's cams have been a longtime supporter of of my racing operation and Andy Bull's racing operation as well in the alcohol car, you know, as as a pretty much associate sponsor with parts help and just support, you know, nothing, nothing great, but it was enough to kind of help us be motivated. So I sent off the rendering to Robert at competition products and he got back to me and said, I absolutely love this. How can we make this a reality? And I'm like, are you serious? Wow. Okay. And he's like, absolutely. Let's do this. We don't have much to give you, but what can we do to help? You know, can I get you parts? I'm like, yeah, I need bearings. I need, you know, I need Manton rocker arm assemblies and oilers and shafts. And I I need just basic stuff. You know, give me buttons for the pistons, just set of rings, anything. And it's not much out of their pocket per se as a sponsorship, but it helps a guy like me who's scraping pennies to buy spark plugs. Oh, sure. So, you know, they saw it and loved it. And then they decided, you know what, let's, let's do something. And I don't have any major sponsors. So I'm like, you know what? You guys have helped me for years. We're putting you on the entire car until I get something bigger or better. So we gave them the wrap, which they're completely grateful for. And, you know, we're going to do things like that. But the cooler part of this is a couple weeks after I designed this, I'm like, Beckman, California. Look, he's playing hockey. I'm like, wait a second. Jack's Jack's kid plays hockey. Jack lives in California. I'm like, holy crap. Are you Jack's kid? (laughs) And then, I mean, I didn't even realize it sooner. I feel stupid because rewind the reel back when I'm in alcohol, Jack Beckman and I have been... I don't want to say good friends, but acquaintances and friends to where I talked to him about driving and he'd help me out. He was the first person that came to my pit in his scooter when he found out that I was licensing for Nitro in Charlotte. Cool. Came over and he's like, Chris, this is the coolest thing ever. Don't worry. You got this. You know, if you can drive this alcohol car, you'll be fine in the Nitro car. Here's what to expect. And I thought nice. that was the coolest thing ever. And Jack has just always been up on a pedestal to me. He's just such a good dude. 
Oh, he is. He is. And, and you know, your your story about him, you know, passing on advice or, or even have been open to conversation about, hey, this is happening. How do I do this or that? I mean, that's been a, a hallmark of his career and his life. He's never been a guy that's been afraid to help somebody out or provide knowledge or whatever, step up to the plate to give somebody a hand. So how neat is that, that it was kind of a coincidental deal that it came full full circle? That's 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 pretty fantastic. Yeah, the, the coolest thing, too, is Jack and Jason are making the trip out to Joliet to hang out with me and debut the car. Fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. We're all excited. I keep getting texts from Jason every day about how excited and how big this is for him, and I'm super stoked for him because it's got to be cool. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And, and you know, it's, to me, it's a, it's a win on all sides. Obviously, you get a beautiful-looking race car. Howard's is very happy with how it looks, but you got a young guy who's obviously motivated to do something here in this kind of – as you well know, when when you're able to validate that motivation with some success, that's like the best thing in the world. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool how it's full circle, you know. So uh, let's talk about the weekend. I mean, so uh, Terry's coming out with his normal kind of complement of guys. Do you have local guys that are helping? Kind of how's the crew coming together? So our crew is kind of a hodgepodge of people. Um, Terry's got a couple guys that run with him with the dragster, whether it's Farley's dragster, Terry's dragster, or on the funny car back in the day. So we have like two or three guys that Terry normally has. Okay. But uh, I got a couple guys from my alcohol days coming. Andy's coming down to do some cylinder heads and learn the clutch. And then, uh, believe it or not, I uh, I borrowed a couple guys from Luigi Novelli's team. Okay, great. Those who are itching to go racing, and since Luigi's not you know going to be feeling the car anytime soon that we know of, unless things uh, change in his plans, but uh, they wanted to come racing, and they all offered to come help me out. So we put together a pretty decent team of uh, volunteers that are coming out, and uh, most of them are local guys, which helps on the budget. Yeah. But we are flying a couple guys in. Uh, my buddy Dave that helps out with Paul Richards' team. He's just kind of a uh, I don't want to say a, a, a race. Uh, I, I can't even say the word. I don't want to be too offensive. A race whore, but <laughs> he, he he likes he yeah. likes to travel, and any chance he gets to come to the races, sure. you know, he comes. So he helps me. He helps Farley. He helps you know whoever he can. The, the Smith boys when they run, or he helps the Richards boys when they run. So, so there's we experience got guys here. Just, you know, these are these are they may not be experienced together as a single unit, but they all have experience. Yeah, we got guys that have been around the car, and they're all good. But if we if we go rounds, you know, fingers crossed, we're going to go rounds. I may need to borrow a couple of guys, you know, to come over and help <laughs> us get things done quick. Well, you know how it works around here. If uh, if that's if that situation presents itself, you will have uh, you'll have some guys wrenches in hand ready to throw down. I'm sure. Absolutely, that's what's great about the NHRA. You know, we might be cut faced on on the, on the line and grinning at each other but when when it's all said and done if something needs to be done those are the first guys there to have your back and that's what makes it great so what do the other guys at the firehouse think about this and and do, are any of them hot rodders or what are their typical hobbies are guys you know mostly like they go fishing or they do whatever their deal is what are the what are the guys at the firehouse think the firehouse is the most eclectic place in the world brian <laughs> you got guys that are gearheads you got guys that are computer nerds you got most of the guys are in the trade some type or another but yeah. most of them love motorcycles cars you know, beer and, yeah. and hot rodding. So, you know, some of them are like, dude, this is totally badass. So exciting. How can you drive that thing? You're insane. Wow. What's it like? I want to drive it. I'm like, yeah, yeah good luck, buddy. <laughs> right. So, you know, you get a lot of support, but you know, Chicago's huge. We have yeah. over 5,000 firemen, a hundred firehouses. And uh, I know a good handful of them, but there's a lot of dudes on the job that I don't know. Sure. And a lot of guys don't follow social media. So, They'll hear rumblings or rumors, and they're like, 
you drive those things? I didn't know that. <laughs> Holy cow. Are you out of your mind? Yeah, right. What's it like? Oh, you must be rich. I'm like, yeah. nope. Far from it, pal. Yeah. <laughs> if I was rich, I wouldn't be sitting in a firehouse every day. <laughs> no, it's great. And to me, that's a, that's always a cool element of this type of stuff where, you know, not a, it's not a hidden life, but it's it's one of those things, like you said, where you meet people and, and maybe they know they know three inches about the NHRA, but they know what a funny car is, right? They may not know a whole lot about drag racing, but they know about the things that shoot fire out of the exhaust when they go down the racetrack. And, and yeah, absolutely, it's, it's got to be kind of priceless to see the looks on people's faces when you say, oh, no, I, I do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the look on their face for the first timers have never had a hint of nitro or felt the car when it launches. Yeah. That's priceless. And I'm hoping that a couple of guys from the firehouse are going to be able to experience that. No, it's uh, it's going to be spectacular, and I can tell you that there's a ton of excitement around this race. You know, the the racetrack itself. We ran that uh, Lucas Oil Series event there last year, which did really well, kind of primed the pump and and kind of brought the idea to full Bayer that we're going to go there for a national event. And uh, I know NHRA is pulling out all the stops. We got a load of different classes and categories there, and you know, so far so good as far as the ticket sales go. They're flying off the shelf, and it's just. It's going to be one of those really cool homecomings. You know, it's like we hear negative news all the time. Oh, we're losing this racetrack or that racetrack. But to be able to effectively reopen one of the nicest tracks in the country is is the best thing possible. Yeah, I'm super excited and so glad that it's back in my backyard, you know, um, just because family and friends. It's hard for them yeah. to get to Norwalk or St. Louis or Indy. So this one, that's 45 minutes outside the city. So hopefully everybody can come down and check it out. Not trying to not trying to look too far into the future here, but you know you're the guy you're a guy that works hard and, and makes plans to execute certain things. So we know you're going to Chicago. I've seen it mentioned that you're going to try to hit some other races. Is there kind of a sketched out plan, or what is the what is the idea for the rest of the season? So right now we have a pretty decent supply of parts, okay. and you know we can run a little bit. So. We're planning on six national events right, right. now, unless okay. something catastrophic happens where we wreck, wreck a bunch of parts or yeah. blow a motor or a body or something. But I'm looking at doing Norwalk, Denver, uh, St. Louis, Topeka, possibly the U.S. Nationals. Right. And we're kind of hoping to, to throw Dallas in there. But again, this all depends yeah. on if we get some yeah. sponsorship help yeah. or get our name out there and how we perform. Yeah, well, and it's, it's one of those things that um, it's almost like it's almost backwards in that when you get out there, so you can make something happen better than you can not be in there. You know, what, 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 but kind of putting yourself out there, laying out some of your own dough, doing the things that uh, normal people would not do. That is how you're going to attract some attention. So I, I, I admire that. And I certainly, I certainly admire the fact that, that you are willing to do it and you are going to do it and nothing's going to stop you from doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, like you said, we get out there. It's easier to sell a, a functioning product than it is to, to sell a hope and dream. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I'm actually yeah. banking on that. I, yeah. I had to take a loan out, unfortunately, to, to pull this deal off. So I'm hoping it works out well. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to be uh, going to the bank. Yeah, <laughs> more overtime and go back to side jobbing and building stuff just to pay off the loan so I could go race and live out my pipe dreams. You know, one of the things I, I I don't know about your past or your history, what is your, was there a dad, an uncle, a grandfather that drag raced? Was it was it in your family before you caught the bug for it? Because it goes both ways. I, I know plenty of people who are in this because their dad loved it or because whatever, and they caught the bug as a kid. And I also know a ton of people that this is just something they saw in magazines or saw on TV as, as a kid and just got obsessed with it. So what side of that equation do you come from? So this is a good story too, Brian, and you'll love this because you love the history of drag racing. I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, which is 
10 minutes away from Great Lakes Dragway. Great Lakes Dragway. Yeah, Bar- Broadway Union Bob. Union Wisconsin. Yep. Broadway Bob. Exactly. That man was a promoting genius. And we would go out to the track on Labor Day and Memorial Day for the spectaculars with jet cars and top fuel. <laughs> someday, someday, come see Robosaurus. You know, all this. And it was like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. So we would go out there and see these things and watch these guys run. And Broadway Bob's sitting on a green mamba jet car as it's blowing a farm implement to pieces with a jet <laughs> turbine. You know, I mean, these shows were amazing as a kid. And unfortunately, it started dying down as we got older. But rewind the story a little bit. I was I was hooked at the excitement and speed. My dad was a, a fireman. And he passed away when I was really young. Okay. But he was a gearhead, lived life of the fastest, had Mopars and, you know, 444 speed roadrunners and drove like a maniac and did all that stuff. So I got hooked on motorcycles and cars, I think genetically through him. Okay. So he passed away when I was 10. Wow. And I just already had the, the hook set. So at 10 years old, after he passed away, I started racing dirt bikes, got into dirt bikes, broke way too many bones and said, this is stupid. <laughs> So then I got into drag racing because it was way safer. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right way more sense. This yeah. makes way more sense. Yeah. yeah. I went from motorcycles to 11,000 horsepower cars because it's safer. <laughs> Give me a break. But uh, we started just like going out there with our street cars as teenagers. And me and Andy have been friends since we were in school, Andy Bull. And we used to race against each other, street racing, you know. And then we'd go to Great Lakes and run our cars. And we sucked. We were doing 13, 14 seconds and thought we were the kings of the world. Sure. And then... Uh, from that, I kind of stepped away a little bit and, you know, life went on, went to the fire department, started doing that. And Andy kept racing, got an altered, blew it up 20 times, and he got an alcohol car. Then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go back racing with Andy. Yeah. So we started racing alcohol cars, and then from there, I started driving. From there, it moved up. I'm like, I want to go faster. Yeah. Well, faster than alcohol is nitro. That's I'm it, in yeah. Nitro. So it just progressed up, and it was just a natural love, like, my whole life. I've, I've been hooked on speed and adrenaline my whole life. No, it's great, man. And and to me it's always cool when that when that is the progression, when somebody comes in as a sportsman, like sportsman racer, even if it was just a test and tune runner on Wednesday and Friday nights and and, and gets themselves to the position you're in right now, that's kind of my favorite story in the sport. And I, I respect everybody that does this at a high level, but there's something extra to me where, you know, when you're when the the, the best night of your life was when the thing first went twelve ninety nine, right? That, that was probably one of the biggest <laughs> moments. You break into the twelves, and it's like we finally did it. And then inevitably, yep. you wake up the next morning, like, well, how can I go twelve fifty? You know? <laughs> yeah. And now, now I'm looking at it back, and like, you know, I, I was going five sixties in the alcohol car. I'm like, wow, that that's slow. Right. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap! What the hell? It was like two sixty five at five seventy. Jesus, what a pooch run! Yeah, right, right, right. No, it's it is. It's a whole different world, and and to me, it's great that you've been able to you've been able to climb the ladder to the point you're at now. And listen, you're going to be one of the big stories of our of our Chicago weekend. And and to me, it's always you know this sport is always more exciting when we have bump spots. Our car counts are moving in the right direction, especially when we race in the center of the country. We always draw a ton of cars, and again, it makes your life more difficult because you have to fight your way and to be one of the quick sixteen. But as far as being able to tell stories and get people interested in that whole qualifying process, having at least 18, maybe 19 cars on the grounds is going to be great. Yeah, it's, it's good for the sport and we need it. Yeah. It's so hard to get more cars out there mm-hmm. and the little guys are struggling, but with everybody's support and help and, and, and fans, I'm putting this out to you all, come by my pit, hang out. We'd love to have you. Check out the car. We'll put your kids in the seat. Come on out. After hours, swing by, crack a beer. 
There you That's have what it. we do. We hang out. We enjoy stuff. I don't drink, but my crew guys like to after the cars put away. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just like them. We, we love NHRA racing. We love people. We love being out there. You know, and it, it's, it's, it's all about people and the fans. And if we don't have any fans, we don't have any sport. That is uh, that is the from your from your lips to God's ears. That is the absolute truth. Chris King, congratulations on getting this deal together with Terry Todd, and look forward to seeing the Howard's Cam's funny car on the racetrack. One of the probably one of the best looking cars on the property if it lives up to the billing of that rendering, which I know it will. Great partnership with with Jason Beckman. The whole thing is fantastic, man. So best of luck to you. I'll be by the pit area to shake your hand in Chicago, and man, just try to get some sleep, Nick, for the next week, right? I'm trying, Brian. Thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, reaching out, and I look forward to seeing you guys next weekend. We'll be back right after this with my closing thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insider. And we are back here in the NHRA Insider with some final thoughts on this show. Talk about three unique guests. Obviously, Tony Stewart is having, uh, to some degree, uh, an incredible season. He's number two in the national points. He's basically a single point out of first when it comes to top alcohol dragster. National event win, backs it up with a final round in Charlotte. Then he comes to the regional in Indianapolis and wins the final round against Jackie Frick. That regional happening, of course, alongside Cletus and Cars, I talked about at the top of the show, simply one of the most incredible events I have ever been to that involved great drag racing, that involved fun with cars, wacky cars, creativity, young hot rodders, passion. It was everything that you would ever want. If you love cars and you love drag racing and you love hot rods and you love people just being creative and building stuff that they want to build, nothing like it in the world. So that will bring us to the end of this episode of the Insider Podcast. Next week will be a race week show. I got Tony Pedregon coming on and a special guest with Tony next week. You'll find out who that is when we get there. That show will drop on Tuesday as we really get ready for the Route 66 Nationals. But to have TJ Zizzo here, to have Chris King here, two guys that are absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt fueled by a passion to succeed in this sport and to succeed in whatever manner they can. Two of the things I admire most about those guys is just absolutely no quit and a pure love of drag racing in their hearts. And for Tony Stewart, what is more fascinating than talking to that guy about really any topic, just because we can talk to him about promoting racetracks, races, events. We can talk about driving indie cars, driving stock cars. And of course, now we can talk about him being what can only be described as an expert level dragster pilot after watching him now competing at many events. The guy is not not back of the pack on the starting line. He can certainly handle the race car down the course. So there you have it. We'll be back on Tuesday with the Route 66 Race Week podcast, but it's coming, baby. The Gerber Glass and Collision Route 66 Nationals presented by Peak at Route 66 Raceway. We have full categories or full fields and all the professional categories already. We got the Drag and Drive cars coming. We got Mountain Motor Pro Stocks coming. We got Pro Modifieds there. The bounty on Chris Thorne said we'll be talking about all that stuff next week. If you don't have tickets yet, I'm not kidding. We're going to run out of them. It has become a very popular ticket. People are snagging them up left, right, and center. You go to NHRA.com today. Get your Chicago tickets. Be at the Route 66 Nationals. I'll tell you to do it again next week, but just do it now. That's all you got to do. I'm Brian Lone. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. The Insider is always fun, and this week, absolutely no exception. We'll be back next week.